Baskin's emerging tech and venture capital practice is comprised of 80-plus dedicated legal professionals across the Canadian market. We're deeply involved in the startup ecosystem and have worked closely with founders from startup to scale to exit. Our team is a leading Canadian law firm for VC financings and tech M&A and act for many of the best-in-class startup and scale-up innovation-based companies and entrepreneurs in Canada. Given this experience, we understand market trends and can assist in guiding your company forward as you scale. We take a holistic and strategic approach to helping our clients achieve their goals and provide the full suite of services including corporate, corporate finance, M&A, commercial, IP, data and compliance, employment, tax and beyond. We are excited to help the next generation of unicorns. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind-the-scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Corey Pollack. Corey is the head of product at Pixel Union and co-founder of numerous companies like Uptime, Listing AI, Google Meet Enhancement Suite, and more. In this episode, we discuss what he learned about building product from Roble at Tiny Hearts, what made Tiny Hearts unique when building product and the acquisition by Shopify, his work at Shopify and helping launch the Arrive, now Shop, app, going from an apprentice role to lead and what it takes to scale as a product person, building solo in small teams and large organizations, the importance of timing when launching a product, why empathy is crucial as a product manager, and why ideas are becoming so saturated. Please enjoy my conversation with Corey Pollack. Corey, I want to start with, so you went to Ryerson, you did BCom, and I saw you were kind of like creator of some things, worked on some apps, maybe some other ventures, and then you kind of joined Tiny Hearts as product manager like soon after graduating. Just curious how you kind of went from BCom to product manager. That's kind of a unique shift, I think. I actually did business technology management, which was a bit of a new program at Ryerson at the time. Um, I did that because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I did know that I liked technology. I liked taking apart computers. And business just seems like a pretty like useful, generic thing to go study. Um, so that's where I landed. And what I quickly realized once I got there was that basically the end game with that program was a business analyst at a bank or working at Deloitte or something, which there's nothing wrong with that. It was just something that after a couple of internships at the Bank of Montreal, I kind of realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. And so from that point, it was kind of a realization of, okay, uh, I'm here at Ryerson, like what else can I do? I discovered uh, Ryerson had this amazing entrepreneurship program. Um, and so I just started taking courses, um, building towards a minor in entrepreneurship, got involved in student groups that were doing entrepreneur sort of things. And uh, through that, I was just like, okay, now I want to work at a startup. 
Like, how do I do that? And uh, is really like probably the the luckiest thing that ever happened in my life so far uh, was just getting introduced to Roplay. I asked a friend, uh, "Can you introduce me to a founder at the Digital Media Zone, which is Ryerson's incubator?" And they introduced me to Roblay. It was the first person that they connected me with, and uh, it it was just kind of yeah. And the rest is history. Um, started working with him in like third year or something like that university uh just working for free trying to learn as much as i could did a little bit of everything uh started off writing blog posts uh which were bad rob like quickly replaced me with uh now a good friend herbert uh started learning like bootstrap html css frameworks through uh one of our developers there at the time named dammy uh, learning design through the designers that Rob would hire and, and really just trying to soak up as much as I could. Um, and then obviously, most importantly, from the transition to a product side of things was just learning from Rob um, kind of looking over his shoulder as, as we built uh, a number of these kind of award-winning apps and worked with various clients. Um, yeah, Rob always taught that like, the app store is our school. And I think that kind of mentality really stuck with me because we would basically just constantly be like playing with different UI, uh, looking at different apps that we were like obsessed with at the time that were doing really well, trying to understand like what made apps specifically, but products overall like really good. Um, and that was really just like a foundational learning experience for me. What were some of the foundational pieces you learned about building product that have really kind of, you know, maybe set you up for success nowadays or gives you a unique perspective on building product? Um, I'm sure there was a, a laundry list of it, but is there like a few kind of things that come to mind of, hey, like, I, I'm so happy I learned it this way when we started and I have this unique perspective on it? I think like fundamentally keeping things simple, um, doing one thing really, really well. Uh, was something we always did uh, at Tiny Hearts. I mean, and at Shopify as well. Um, yeah, like a, a customer should be able to pick up your product and immediately understand uh, why it exists and what value they're getting out of it. Um, so probably, yeah, the most fundamental thing is doing one thing really, really well and doing that through like intuitive UI, um, um, UX that... Uh, like delights users, like something that people want to use. I think those are pretty foundational in, in building anything. I'm just a little bit curious about what made Tiny Hearts special from being like a product studio. Like obviously there was probably a multiple things, but is there kind of one, two things that made it especially special? And ultimately you're acquired by Shopify. So what was kind of that process like? Tiny Hearts was was definitely a product studio. We focused uh, on building a number of different products. We had a number of our own award-winning apps, um, some that were featured in app commercials, uh, Apple commercials, some that were featured uh, uh, on the App Store itself. Uh, we also worked with like a number of clients uh, like Wellsimple, uh, Career Cruising, Shopify. We did a lot of work with Shopify uh, pre-acquisition. I think what, what made Tiny Hearts special is we're, I think the, the design of all of our products, again, going back to that delightful factor, like, uh, we spent a lot of time on the experience 
um, making sure that it was something unique. So like one of our, our most popular apps was Wake Alarm. And it was an alarm clock app, like super, super basic. Um, but the UX was like really, really unique in comparison to every other alarm clock app at the time. Um, so that garnered a lot of interest from, from press, from Apple especially, because it was really showcasing um, the creativity that apps can have. And I think that overall really set Tiny Hearts apart and why folks like Wellsimple wanted to work with us, why Shopify wanted to work with us. Like it was just like thinking a little bit outside of the box, um, prioritizing the user experience um, and making sure that, yeah, things are just delightful and fun to use. What was that acquisition process like for you um, when it happened? Like Shopify is not as big as it was today, but it was still probably fairly big then. Was there a bit of a change there? Just talk me through like, how did you feel at that time, at that moment? And, and what was that process like for you? It was a really, really fun time. Um, definitely nerve wracking going from you know a tiny startup team of like maybe 12 people uh, to, yeah, thousands of people in this big organization with multiple offices across Canada. Um, it was, yeah, exciting and, and, uh, and, and kind of like a nervous experience kind of, it's almost like going to high school or something <laughs> from elementary. You're like, well, there's all these big kids and they're all doing like really cool stuff and like, oh, geez, am I going to fit in? Um, but all of those things sort of fell by the wayside immediately once you landed there. Um, everyone was so incredibly welcoming, uh, and just being surrounded by so many just incredibly smart, uh, people, uh, was really, uh, invigorating and, and motivating. And so essentially when we were brought in, we, we didn't have a mandate, uh, our, it was basically like build stuff outside of the core Shopify roadmap and like, let's see what sticks. And that was, I mean, yeah, at the, at that point in Shopify's history was like, uh, incredible, uh, situation to be put in and, and Satish gave us a lot of leeway to just explore. So for me, I, I started off, uh, in an area that I really love, which is gaming. Um, and so I, I started building out a shop, like gaming team with some folks that had been tinkering with products in that space for a while. Uh, we shipped, uh, the unity by SDK, which, um, was an SDK for game developers to sell physical products as in-app purchases in their games. Uh, we had a booth at GDC. It was just like a super fun year exploring this space uh, of commerce that hadn't really been touched by anyone else. Uh, worked on a number of other experiments, but ultimately the majority of my time was focused with Roblay on, on a product called Arrive, um, which was a small little package tracking app experiment within Shopify that uh, would later um, uh, scale to, to millions of users and obviously become the shop app, uh, which is now very well known within the consumer space. I feel like I was fairly early when I, I, I downloaded Arrive and it was a huge game changer for me. I could just see everything all in one place. I guess when you, you talked a little bit there about like, hey, like you can work on different things. Like there's not really like an agenda here. How do you really maintain that focus maybe as an individual, maybe, you know, a small team of like, 
hey, we don't really have an agenda here, but we do need to ship something, build something meaningful. How do you kind of balance those two things? Because I feel like that's a unique situation. What we did back then was going through that diverging and converging process of like, okay, we can do anything. Let's diverge and come up with like a bunch of ideas, um, areas that we're interested in, areas that we know about. Um, let's talk to people um, and and see what their problems are in certain areas that we're interested in. Um, it's really like collecting a lot of different data points. Um, and then when you get to the converging side, it's like, okay, let's be like ruthless and start prioritizing things like which threads, <laughs> which threads have legs. Is that a thing that people say? I guess maybe now it is. Um, yeah. Which threads do we want to pull on more? Which ones, at least within our gut, which like within product, uh, Toby always said, like be uh, data informed, not data driven, like um, with the data that we have. In our gut, which ones do we feel um, uh, the most conviction in to to pursue more? Um, funny enough, Arrive was actually an idea that we had been incubating in Tiny Hearts even before we got acquired. Um, I think it was something at the time that Rabelais had noticed, probably as he was buying way too much stuff online. Sorry, Rabelais. Uh, but... Uh, it was it was something that we had been incubating and and had already kind of seen that thread and were interested in and so it made just a ton of sense being within Shopify and e-commerce to to double down on that. You also went from apprentice product manager to product lead over five years at Shopify. I guess it's more of like on the personal side of things and like moving up each level. I guess it's like okay, you're great at building product launching product but what are the nuances as you're kind of scaling and becoming like a product lead is there like a shift in mentality there is there a shift in skill set did you have to like was there a learning curve for you individually i'm just always very curious of like you you just kind of worked your way up over those five years and and how did you achieve that i think coming from tiny hearts to shopify I was like, oh, apprentice product manager. I've been doing product like for five years at Tiny Hearts. Like, what's this all about? And then once you get into Shopify and you see how the product managers there run things, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I realized at that time, like, I don't know anything about anything. Um, and I think what that comes down to is like the scope and scale of the things that folks are working on at a company like Shopify is just like vastly different. Um, and so I think like moving from an APM to a product lead, what you really hone in on is like having a really solid process for managing a team, managing a roadmap, um, the product vision. Um, and I think most importantly, like learning how to work with people, like you're working with so many disciplines at Shopify, um, like support marketing. Uh, designers, developers, like there's just so many different folks that are involved uh, when you're shipping product there that um, learning how to like coordinate and effectively motivate all those folks um, to work towards one vision is is like a completely different beast in comparison to a small 12 person startup. I think that kind of ties nicely into because I, I want to talk about a bit of some things you built kind of solo or maybe with like one or two other people. But I guess what are some major differences between 
building a product solo versus Shopify. You mentioned, you know, like just broader team and different teams to work with versus maybe like tiny hearts, which like 17, 15 people or whatever size you kind of mentioned there, I guess. Do you find there's little nuances and differences there about building product solo kind of early stage startup and then later stage? Fundamentally team size makes like a huge difference. Um, so I'm, when I'm building stuff like quote unquote solo, not really solo, I'm always building with uh, uh, one or two other people. Most of the time, uh, that would be like a, a co-founder who's an engineer. Um, it's way easier to like communicate through stuff. Like it's it's easy. It's one-on-one. There's like not a whole lot of context that can go missing uh, between two people. Um, and obviously, like what I said before, like working at Shopify, there's you know, hundreds of people. <laughs> or uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that all need to kind of be um, on the same page. So I think it's uh, there's certain um, things that are a lot more simple when building solo uh, that can make things easier and, and move faster uh, in certain ways, um, which is nice. Um, for me... How does team like team size like impact like how you build? I guess is kind of the essence of it. Building solo is always a lot more hands on, obviously, and uh, I really find the projects that uh, I build for myself, like with a co-founder, are always more so I feel more like a, a form of self-expression in a way, if that makes sense. Um, it's an opportunity for me to like have full control over every element uh, within the product. Um, And I always take it as an opportunity to learn new things. Um, So I always do the the design for the most part on all the products. Um, I always uh, uh, try and get as involved in development as I can. Um, And pretty much every project has been kind of like compounded learnings uh growing towards understanding more of development um so like meat enhancement suite was learning javascript for the first time that was super fun uh building listing ai was learning react uh which was sweet kind of built built upon uh my javascript learnings and then with building uptime uh that was getting into node and typescript and more like backend languages uh which was really fun so it's always it's more of an excuse to learn than anything. Uh, obviously, I want them to to be successful, but uh, that's like a whole big part of it for me. Um, and so that's obviously a huge difference between building solo and building at Shopify. Is at Shopify, I I uh, all that deep creative work is outsourced to professionals in those fields that uh, really know what they're doing, um, and so it's more around the collaboration um between us versus me actually just doing the work um so it's very different in in that way so you're at shopify working on product and you start launching some stuff solo on the side i guess what inspired you to do that uh what made you you know just curious to do things from a solo perspective where you're like hey i'm just you know i test my skills out or i want to try some things and uh would love to was lead app like kind of your first thing from a solo perspective before Lead App, uh, I built a product called Slacklist, uh, which was when Slack was becoming like super popular. Uh, P- 
people were trying to join different Slack workspaces, like little communities. And I found that there's no real easy way to find those. So I spent a weekend uh, manually scraping the internet uh, for Slack workspaces and then hard coding them into a landing page uh, and then posted that on Product Hunt. It like blew up. I think it was number one for the day or something. Uh, and that was actually the first company that I sold, uh, funny enough. Uh, that was quite a while ago now. Um, but pretty much everything that I've built solo has really been couched in a problem that I've had. So with Slacklist, it was not being able to find cool Slack communities um, to to join and be a part of. Um, with uh, Meet Enhancement Suite, which was a Chrome extension I built uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, which essentially made Google Meet more like Zoom. Um, it was because I went from having a couple of Google Meet calls a week to like 10 a day, and I realized uh, that the Google Meet user experience wasn't super great. So I wanted to solve that. Uh, listing AI was a real estate listing description generator. Uh, I had just recently purchased a home and going through that whole process, uh, just, you know, was curious about how all this stuff worked and real estate descriptions was a big question mark that I wanted to see if maybe AI could solve. Um, and, uh, so that was a collaboration with me and, uh, my friend Mustafa. But yeah, there are always like problems that needed to be solved that that I had stumbled upon and and just wanted to see if uh, if I could help others. Do you have a little bit of a process there? Because you know you're describing, hey, I have this problem. Going to build this great product, and it seems like things always end up in you know an acquisition of some kind of sort, uh, which I can't say for any everyone who's built product. Do you have a bit of a process there, or do you have a bit of like how do you, how do you know that this thing? Is, go is going to not just solve your problem, but it's going to solve, you know, maybe a substantial amount of other people's problems and has some sort of kind of chance of success there. I can't say that every single product that I've built, I've known for sure that it was going to work. That would be crazy if I did. But I think that that muscle of what you're describing uh, has, I've developed a lot over time. Um, and so like, for example, now every project that I start starts with SEO research. Um, is there demand? And especially when you're bootstrap building products, like there has to be existing, some sort of existing demand. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's starting with, with that research phase is really the process is like, what's the problem? Are there enough people that feel this problem? How painful is the problem? Uh, and will people be willing to pay for a solution to said problem? Um, you can get more granular uh, with that. Like, is it a, a painkiller or vitamin that we're building here, uh, which kind of gets into the severity of the pain? Um, so those are the sorts of questions and, and research that's done now uh, up front. Um, but with Google Meet, for example, like it seemed pretty obvious that like there was a lot of people that were uh, struggling with Google Meet at that time. Um, the bet was how big was the Chrome web store, and that turned out to be pretty good. Do you think timing's important in product? Like you mentioned there, like beginning of the pandemic with Google Meet, and 
I'm also curious too with, with like uptime being in the Shopify app store, like if you had launched today versus maybe, you know, like a year or so ago when, when you launched that or listing AI with an AI tool, like if you had waited till maybe today with like the explosion in AI tools, like what do you think about timing with product? Is that something you take into consideration or no? A timing is is definitely helpful for growth. Uh, obviously, we launched Mean Enhancement Suite right at the beginning of the pandemic. So people were actively searching for these problems that didn't last forever. Um, uh, the traffic to that like significantly shrunk um, post what you call pandemic, quote unquote, ending, like whatever that means. But when back to office normal living started to, to become more normal, um, those things shrunk. And I think the same would go for the wave of AI now. There's like so many startups. If you like a product on any day, there's like so many new ones. Um, some of those will be success uh, long term. Some of those will you know, fall by the wayside as um, the buzz wears off. So I don't think like following a wave is necessarily the only and best way to build a product. And I think uptime is a good example of that because they're there is no real wave in like store Shopify e-commerce store monitoring solutions um, is actually the opposite. Like there's no one really competing directly in this space right now in the Shopify app store. Um, and so we saw that as the opportunity, um, which was a scary one because uh, it kind of goes against what I said earlier about like uh, pre-existing demand. Um, but we kind of filled those gaps through just talking to, to merchants and, and understanding their problems and their current setups. What do you think makes a great product manager or, or, or product builder? It doesn't have to be just specifically product manager versus just a good product manager, product builder. What is that step gap? Like what is the extra kind of skill set or maybe intuition that that individual has that just makes them that much little better empathy like having empathy for the end user is so incredibly important um so i mean best case scenario is that you deeply understand the problem that your customers are having um your like yourself um which allows you to solve for that uh in an effective way but beyond that, if you can empathize with your end user and like truly get into their shoes, truly understand um, how they do something or the pain points that they have when they're trying to accomplish some sort of task, I think that really helps you understand like uh, or prioritize like what you should be building and when and how. Um, beyond that, I think um, like getting back to like the early Tiny Hearts stuff of like just understanding the fundamentals of what makes good products good, um, having like an understanding of of design principles, what, what is good design versus not as good design. Um, and then I also think having an understanding on the engineering side is also helpful. Um, understanding like what's actually possible. Um, like if you're looking at AI, it's like, understanding what like an LLM is, like understanding uh, what is actually possible with these tools uh, will allow you to identify kind of that diamond in the rough of like what could be solved for someone in the real world. How do you get better at building product? Is it, you know, a little bit of do versus learning? Uh, is it, you know, 
have a group of friends that are also building. So you kind of like learn through osmosis. What are some things that like have worked really well for you to just really upskill yourself and keep an edge and like continue to like learn? I think you touched on both of them right there. I think, yeah, first and foremost, uh, the doing, uh, I really enjoy. I'm not someone who is like steeped in, uh, business books or, or blog posts and things like that. Um, I, I love, I don't know the word to say, I love failing. Like I love, I love just trying stuff and seeing if it works. Um, and if it doesn't, it's like, great, that was a failure. Um, I learned something that successfully didn't work. Um, let's try something different. Um, and I think that the flip side of that is that, uh, doing that with, with a support network, um, so like learning development, uh, over the last little while has been like really hard, but I've had the support of my like amazing co-founders, um, to support me through those sorts of things. Um, and then, yeah, I have like a, a group of, of other product folks that I like to chat with and we bounce around ideas and talk about product stuff. Um, and that's always helpful to, uh, yeah. I guess like rubber duck stuff with other people, just bounce ideas around and, and see uh, what comes out of it. On LinkedIn, your bio says full stack human. I'm just kind of curious what what that means. Is that something that you've come up with? Is that something that you live by? Just interested in what full stack human is. That phrase came from uh, like the concept of a full stack developer, like being able to go like end to end uh, and handle like both sides of the equation. Um, and so I can't even remember when I wrote that on my LinkedIn. Um, but I guess like thinking of myself as a full stack human is like, I guess just like having a growth mindset in both like professional and, and personal worlds, um, always being open to, uh, learning new things and growing in, in things that I already know. Um, so it like professionally, I think that is kind of like what we were talking about. I love just like being able to do design and being able to do development, being able to do product stuff um, and learning those things so that I can like work more effectively with people day to day. And then in my personal life, it's like doubling down on the things that I love doing. So like playing drums uh, recently joined a band and I've been playing like more drums than I ever have. Um, and that's been really fun to like, see that skill grow, uh, for the first time in a while, um, traveling and having like new experiences. Uh, I really love bike repair. I've been going really deep into that. Um, so just, yeah, not being only doing one thing, doing lots of, of different things. Do you find that focus on doing lots of things, whether, you know, like let's say travel or bike repair and, Maybe it's outside of, you know, that traditional, you know, focus on tech and product and, and just building. Do you find that has, you know, do you draw inspiration from that energy from that? I'm just kind of curious, like if those other things have just actually made you even stronger at building product, on, maybe on like the work side. So the question was like the stuff in the, in my personal life, does that impact the professional side? Yeah. Like in a positive way, right? Like it's like that kind of whole concept of when you actually have, you know, like you kind of have like brain fog or like you're coming up against a problem. It's actually good to go do another activity that's mentally stimulating, like 
you know, drums, bike repair, travel, whatever that may be. All those things are, are such great outlets. Uh, drumming is a great way to like let out rage and frustration and anxiety. Um, traveling is a great way to, um, yeah, experience new things, understand how different cultures, um, do things. It gives you perspective on, on how we live our life in North America versus other places. Um, like bike repair, for example, and even drumming as well is like great learnings in problem solving, uh, and just like learning to figure stuff out, um, and, and work through something. They're very, very similar to like running into a development problem. Um, except it's like in the physical world, um, there is always a solution. It's just a matter of like troubleshooting and, and, and whittling it down to the right one. Um, and so I think there is a lot of kind of crossover between working through stuff in those personal areas and, and professional. I'd love to talk a little bit about being bootstrapped or even just kind of relatively bootstrapped. I don't know what the situation was at, at Tiny Hearts, uh, but also just like the, the solo projects you've worked on have been bootstrapped. What are your thoughts on being bootstrapped uh, and also maybe a bit of maybe up until 2022, late 2021, when everyone was raising tons and tons of money, maybe that mentality has shifted dramatically to today. Um, but how did you kind of like maintain like, hey, like this is what I want to do, like this is my focus uh, versus, you know, maybe go raise $100 million or something? So Tiny Hearts was fully bootstrapped. Um, so I've kind of been indoctrinated into this bootstrap world since um, getting involved in tech. Uh, and at Tiny Hearts, we were we were also, you know, very, very much keeping an eye on Andrew Wilkinson and what he was doing at Meta Labs at the time. Like, it was very inspirational for us as well. So I've kind of been in this bootstrap ecosystem forever. Um, and the thought of raising was always like a little bit incongruent with the way that I thought about building products. Um, I think like bootstrapping forces really great guardrails. Um, it forces you to like be resourceful, move quickly, um, test things. Um, like I was saying earlier, like pick a, a product that has existing demand um forces you to think about things like profitability and not just like growth at all costs um i think it can be easy to get caught up in like the vc money world especially if you just look on twitter one day like you're just constantly bombarded with like seemingly overnight success stories of like uh these companies but uh i don't think you need VC to build a successful business. And I think that ultimately comes down to your definition of success. Like success doesn't, it doesn't, uh, success doesn't need to be a billion dollar business. Success can be a business that's making $50,000 a year. Um, it depends on your needs and, and what you want to get out of something. Um, yeah. So like when I think about business, I think a good analogy is uh, like a pizza shop. Like you don't necessarily need to compete with Pizza Hut. But if you're like the best pizza spot in your neighborhood, you can build a really, really great business um, that you can feel proud in, that's successful, that's profitable. Um, so yeah, that's how I think about 
kind of bootstrapping versus VC. You mentioned earlier Andrew Wilkinson with MetaLab, and now uh, Uptime has been acquired by Pixel Union, which is a Andrew Wilkinson tiny uh, company. Just kind of curious, like how that acquisition has gone. Has that acquisition been different than any other acquisition? Um, you know, just Tiny has been known to move quickly and and get things done. How, how has that been different from maybe other acquisitions you've been through? This process was was really great. Um, the WeCommerce Tiny team made it, you know, very very uh, straightforward, uh, very open and honest conversations, very transparent. Um, in in the past, like with selling Meet Hansen Suite, that whole process took like about eight months uh, to sell that business. Um, whereas I think this was probably maybe a couple of months um, from start to close. Um, so I think like what really made the difference was, yeah, A, WeCommerce was a great partner. Um, Jordan, the CEO there, uh, is just really, really great and very easy to talk to. Um, and so it made, it made that part of the process, the negotiation and all those sorts of things very easy. And then B, I think just like the strategicness of the, of the opportunity. Um, it just made a lot of sense to everybody involved from day one. Um, and so that just made the entire process very smooth. Yeah. I guess it's an extension of the bootstrap question. Like if you go to the venture route, raising money, there's, you're going to get Goldman Sachs as an investment banker. You're going to IPO. You're going to get you know acquired by Shopify, whatever that may be. If you're taking the bootstrap route, you know there's there is Tiny out there. There's micro acquire. You know there's other kind of websites popping up. What are your kind of thoughts on like building in the bootstrap space? Like you obviously mentioned, mentioned like okay, you know I I need this number to be like a success. Like maybe that number is just self sustaining for you. Uh, but what about people that are like working in this bootstrap space and they're looking for kind of like that exit potential? Do you see that space kind of growing and getting bigger or or changing in the future? I could be totally wrong here, but it often feels like ideas are becoming very saturated. Like the the space for like brand new innovation is is becoming smaller. Obviously, waves like AI make that easier. But as we can see, like those also become like immediately very saturated as well. I think there is like, um, something really great about buying businesses. Um, people might like turn their nose up at that as like, oh, well, if you didn't start something from scratch, then like, what is that? But scaling a business is, is really hard. It's not easy to, to take something. And so I think there is value in buying something that's checked like a number of boxes. You obviously still need to do like your own sort of product analysis on that, but, um, Taking something that, you know, has like an inkling of something and learning how to scale that is is like a really fun opportunity. So I think there's there's a lot of value and a lot of interest in, in acquisition from that perspective. Um, how quickly it's growing, I'm not sure. But I think like looking at the fact that these platforms that you just listed exist is probably a good indicator that um, it's something that people are doing more of those sort of like micro acquisitions. Um because there's a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs, um, but maybe don't know exactly where to start. And so that's a great way to to get into it. I know we've probably talked on this a little bit, but I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts of, you know, you mentioned there just the, you know, ideas to launch 
kind of and like building something very quickly like that space can be very saturated and you you see that if you're on product hunt or any kind of other website it's like someone can come up with something build it over the weekend so how do you think hey how how if 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 a lot of people can do that then how do i really stick out how do i make sure i'm solving a real problem how do i make sure i'm different are you launching in a different place? Are you like, like, what are some things that you're doing that you can uh, be successful there? I think there's certain like market, market factors that you can look out for, like building in spaces that have um, like a number of like pre-existing incumbents that uh, maybe hasn't been disrupted in a while, um, which obviously a lot of people will jump into as well. But it ultimately comes back to like, what do you know that other people might not or other people might overlook? And that comes from experience. Um, I have a friend uh, who's building a product in um, the sports booking space. So like, um, uh, like base indoor baseball um, practice spaces, for example. And He's built like an incredible business. And it's something that like you would never really think of unless you were like doing stuff there. He does a lot of cricket. I think he kind of like came across it through various facilities he was working at. Um, and uh, the average person would look at that and be like, oh, no, there's probably not enough facilities in North America to like make that work. Or like, oh, there's all these like incumbents that have been around forever. Um, but he saw that as an opportunity and, and a need within the market and, and, and went for it. And it's been really, really great for him. You know, you're just like focused on problems and those problems exist outside of product hunt and Twitter and AI, right? So it's just having that unique approach there. It's kind of like in AI, I think right now there's a ton of products. That you'll be able to feed it like a PDF document and you could somewhat query it to find data through a chatbot. Um, there's, there's lots of those. Um, but what I think will be more lasting in the long term are, are things that are like way more niche, um, in nature, things that like go deep into like, uh, um, like customer journeys for realtors in, in real estate or like, uh, things for like lawyers, uh, day to day, like things that are much more niche, I think have way more staying power than, um, these products that we're seeing a lot that pop up that are much more broad focused. They're still doing very, very well. How long term is is maybe more questionable. Let's have jump in the quick fire round and would like to know what your favorite book is. And if it's hard to pick a favorite, maybe just something you, you kind of go back to often, you're currently reading or you want to read. I can't say I have a favorite book, uh, but as of recently, I've been getting really deep into uh, like anthropology focused books so i'm reading sapiens right now um the reason that i got to sapiens is because before that i read a historical analysis of how jesus became god or became known as god um and so i've just been really fascinated by this like early humans uh and kind of how we got to where we are i guess um it's really really fascinating stuff um, otherwise, I generally like don't really read much business focused things. The the books I was looking through my Goodreads, and all the business books that I've read are actually about business failures. So like the fall of BlackBerry or like Enron, I find those sorts of stories like really really fascinating. 
What are you most excited about in the next 12 months personally and professionally? Professionally, obviously coming off um, uh, the excitement of this recent acquisition, um, I think we have really, really big ambitions at Pixel Union um, with Uptime and with uh, our other app theme updater. So I'm really stoked to um, just really dig in and, and start sprinting with uh, a lot of those ideas and, and start shipping things there. Um, personally, uh, as I mentioned, I've been playing uh, in a band again. Uh, we're a pop punk karaoke band. Um, so we play the music and you sing. Um, we've been practicing for a while and uh, we'll hopefully be start playing a show or start playing shows soon. Um, so I'm really excited uh, for that. I'll have to come out to Toronto and do some singing, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. How do you deal with hard times? Uh, you know, building building product from zero to one and beyond is is a challenging thing. Do you do anything that really helps you out? Do you meditate? Do you fitness? You know, you mentioned bike repair, other things. Like, wh what kind of things keep you grounded? I guess just try, always trying to put things into perspective. Like, uh, okay, this thing is happening to me. Like, how bad is it? Um, what parts of this can I control and which parts can I not? Am I focused on the things that I can't? Because if so, I should probably probably stop worrying about those things. Um, think um, one thing that I often come back to is is that phrase of like I've had a lot of worries in my life, and most of which never happen. Um, I think I I definitely repeat that to myself often, especially during hard times or when I'm going through something. Uh, and that's kind of that anxiety spiral that your brain can do where your brain will just spiral out of control, focusing on things that like probably don't matter or won't actually happen. And so trying to like, kind of stick your, your, uh, your stick in the spoke of that wheel and stopping that kind of brain churn from happening um, can help you just focus on what actually matters. Um, and I, lastly, I think just leaning on friends and family. Um, just like a really great having a really great uh, kind of like personal board of advisors folks that you can go to that you can be like transparent with and uh, have like real discussions um, has been fundamental for me um, through my career and just generally in life I love that that's the last question from me I'd like to open up the mic to you if, if you want to chat about anything product related business related life related whatever you'd want um, or or not whatever you want to do. Nothing, nothing top of mind. Um, I was I was listening to like Daniel Debose podcast uh, episode before this, and I think he was just like, if you have questions, just hit me up. Uh, I think uh, do the same. You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, uh, at uh, C P O L L O zero one. Yeah, happy to to help folks uh, in their product entrepreneurship journey if I can. Awesome. Corey, thanks so much for today. It was super insightful, especially on the topic of products. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe, share with friends, and reach out with guest suggestions. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to our newsletter on Substack to keep up to date.